episode 25. Woo! We made it. We made it. Today, it's gonna be a big one. A doozy. What are we talking about, Victoria? It's finally Sunscreens Part 2. So just a heads up, this might get cut up into two episodes because it's going to be a dense one, but it is about time that we talk about all them sunscreen controversies of late. Yeah, so everything you've been hearing about from the latest benzene drama Mm -hmm. to coral reef updates, uh, SPF values, we're going to try to talk about all of that and just kind of have a more honest, um, more real conversation about why there's so much drama around this category and hopefully uh calm your fears that's really the goal here yeah um yeah we're trying to present um all these very complicated issues from all sides why Mm -hmm. we're where we are today and what we're still waiting on and but you know given that it's one of those episodes what are we drinking today victoria so this one we definitely need a little help so today i'm drinking a mckellar classic called the passion pool um awesome brewery awesome artwork i am still on my bud light (laughs) seltzer because you can't tell this was a costco (laughs) let's just say we are stuck with this from memorial day parties but i am also wearing a shirt that says woof woof i am bartender so (laughs) that's the spirit of today love it love it excellent um but first things first we should do a quick brand update um so i think right off the bat we should just start with some nice words yes uh we decided that we really need to add the section to um the podcast because sometimes as you know we go on this journey with our content the brand it can get really overwhelming and we forget that sometimes people say nice things about this (laughs) exactly so today we're just sharing a couple pieces the first one being uh this is actually the specialist and the title is love okay and the description (laughs) uh i love this product so much and wish i had discovered it sooner i suffer from moderate to severe hormonal acne that appears around my u-shape area of my face that is the first time i've heard someone use the term u-shape but that's this area here uh, of my face in big painful pustule clusters i refuse to use retinol and have been searching for an alternative for so long i use this as a spot treatment after serum doesn't sting my skin at all and the next day it has really helped to reduce my inflammation and after about five days of use my bump has become almost smooth i'm going to buy backup so that i'm not going to panic when i run out of this so oh that's that so makes great us so happy um yeah and the quick intro to the specialist is it combines 18 percent mandelic acid with two percent cell acid and five percent niacinamide it's called the specialist because it is the oily skin specialist and um it it, it we position it as you can use it as a rinse off mask um in your trouble uh trouble area most people get get a little bit worse in your t-zone but i guess um for some people the u-zone can oh be yeah very, especially for cystic yeah, yeah. Uh, can be affected as I well feel your pain <laughs> yeah it can be if you're just in maintenance mode it can be used as a booster uh, or as this user has it um use it as a spot treat yep and the next uh, piece of nice words is about our travel buddy. Travel buddy title says fan exclamation mark. Fan. Then <laughs> <laughs> not only is the packaging best case ever <laughs> and the insert ultra adorable, this shit also works. Nice. Huge sample of the mid strength um, exfoliation serum came with it for free and it's truly a full mini kit. 
I just don't think I'll be able to hold off using these up until I actually travel. I got the book off Amazon too and did not disappoint. Can't wait for the Mr. Reliable Part 2. Because <sighs> that's got to be my fave thing in there. Love. We can't wait for Mr. Reliable 2, Gen 2 as well. So, so uh, many things. Mm. One is, not many people talk about our travel case. And yeah. I love that she highlighted about the case because we actually had to design that ourselves. <laughs> which, boy, do we get a spanking in fashion. <laughs> my, I always make on Victoria. I'm like, this is the one-time limited edition Tory Burch. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you, when we showed up to the... Um, the uh, travel case manufacturer we actually brought in a felt stapled prototype oh and yeah i honestly bless her heart for giving us a chance and not just like showing us the door after we, that we shit you not here we'll post a picture of the original <laughs> version here um for all those you uh those youtube watchers um yeah that was very humble beginnings and yeah. something we didn't think we would ever do yeah <laughs> So that was a learning process. And although, on also, I just had to squeeze that in there because she talked about the book. So thank you. Thank you. Um, and yeah, so Mr. Reliable Part 2, still working on it, still in progress. Uh, I yeah. want to believe we're getting closer, and I still think the fall timeline is reasonable um, unless something else happens. So... Yeah, who knows, but um, we hope to have some good news soon. Yeah, we really hope by the next brand update, it'll be an actual <laughs> brand update. And I just, nice words. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right, so I think it's time we go ahead and move on to the news. In the news, All right, hit one. me, Laura, what you got? So Rite Aid has, uh, a, has had a board meeting very recently, and they talked about that um, uh, one of the biggest highlights from that is they wanted to give an update on their chemical policy. Mm. I find it mildly humorous because Rite Aid is also hopping on the train of phasing out some of the uh, ingredients that they consider to be bad. But they dubbed me the evil eight. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like it It just reminds me of the Quentin Tarantino movie, The Hateful Eight. Yeah. So I'm like, that's just... Where's the inspiration in that? Someone is a is a fan of Mr. Tarantino. <laughs> me thinks. Yeah. So um, the update says as of March 2021, only 13 formulas or just one percent of Rite Aid still have these ingredients. And what are the evil egg? Gloria? Who are the evil egg? Who are you? <laughs> and why does Rite Aid hate you? <clears throat> so the evil egg are triclosan, formaldehyde, propylparaben, butylparaben, toluene, dibutylphthalate, diethylphthalate, and non uh, nonophenol ethoxylates. Whew. So nothing super new, to be honest. So triclosan to me is uh. I find it kind of interesting that they it's on this list, especially with COVID in the past years. Like antibacterial hand soap has got to be really popular. That is uh, um, one of the active ingredients in those type of um, antibacterial soap. Um, Aside from the ethanol ones. Right. We're, I'm not a huge fan of it. No. So indifferent about it being on the list. Um, there are a lot of studies that show that it's not so great for the friendly bacteria of your skin. Yes, exactly. Um, also, parabens, nothing new. They like um, nothing new. I have to be honest, I think the only things that might be relevant to their phase out really is the parabens and the triclosan, especially for skincare. Mm -hmm. um, I just feel like that area, it's just, oh, it's a phase out of parabens, which is really prevalent through 
like drugstore formula. So, yes. Yeah. So um, nanophenyl ethoxylate is not something you'll see in skincare mm-hmm. much. It's mostly used in detergents. Which mm-hmm. my first thought when I saw this was like, cleaning does Rite have their own cleaning products? Yeah. I was like, who? <laughs> I feel like it's been like five years since I went to Rite Aid, so I yeah. don't know. But anyway, that is the evil. Yeah. Aid. And usually the nanophenyl is more flagged for like aquatic life impact. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, agreed. It's just like oh, another big box retailer with their uh no no list so that's a new one for us uh and also moving on to some celebrity skincare launches uh, my god is this trend very we real? really should have done a fantasy draft I like know. a bracket or something i really think we could have hit these so i'm, I'm... i will say the first one i did not expect at all mm-hmm. so first of all vanessa hudgens and madison beer collaborated and they have launched a beauty brand called no beauty not like and like in the know, not like no beauty. Because <laughs> that reminds me of knobs. The knobs. no BS. Oh, yeah. Care. Oh, yeah. for those of you who don't know, uh, we call no BS knobs because their their website URL always just... is knobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, this the, is the DNA kit. Yes. So mm-hmm. the no, uh, no beauty line is. Hey, no beauty. Sorry. So, <laughs> so this beauty line has. Um, a bunch of relatively basic products. I think they have two serums, a cleanser, moisture, uh, two moisturizers. But they have a $95 DNA kit. Um, supposedly, you swap yourself and they give you a diagnostic bag. They say that it will give you a, a reading in seven different areas, including collagen renewal, pigmentation slash sun damage, antioxidant support, skin sensitivity, and glycation. That's not seven. I counted wrong. Whatever. <laughs> but but they'll give you a little reading mm-hmm. bar from it. How do you feel about DNA kits, Victoria? Well, okay. I want to ask, does mm. it pop out a product suggestion after? Or I think so. We'll be honest. I, I, I didn't personally spend $95 on this DNA kit. But supposedly, they'll give you routine suggestions. And basically, mm. they call it a curated routine based on that. So... Uh, if you don't want to do a DNA kit, I'd like to recommend uh, thinking about having your routine being analyzed by chemists. <laughs> Which, you know, we always say the recommending chemist recommendations <laughs> once a month thing is starting to turn into a once a quarter thing. Uh, uh, we're on track for that, but uh, it's going to open up soon. But okay, in terms of how I feel, I don't think uh, we're definitely not there yet in terms of applying DNA sequencing to skincare results. I think um, we did so a. So I would label this, stamp this as gimmick. Yeah, we did a. Recently, we've been recording a lot of um, a lot of podcasts with other mm. people, and we recently did one where we talked a little bit about these trends with microbiome skincare and DNA skincare. Mm. Where um, there's quite a few brands that does this, where they give you kits and they give you a personalized product Mm -hmm. our stance as chemists is that it honestly it's just a little gimmicky um the science of microbiome and dna all that is it's all very real but how your dna data how your microbiome data translate to your actual product that process is not very well thought out right now and not very well defined both of us had had the displeasure of working on <laughs> customizable skincare. Yeah. So what that means is, if you think about it, there is you can come up with. Let's say you have twenty active ingredients. Mm-hmm. You come up with a hundred some odd different combinations. That means a chemist 
practice in the lab with 400 jars, uh, four, uh, just all these formulas four different times, go through all the testing, and it's just very tedious. And who's to say formula one is more suitable for you than formula 38? It's that correlation is just not quite there yet. I was going to say, like, you can look at it from a, a different perspective, too, is one is think about it on a production level, like the actual cost of formulating a formula for you specifically, um, that is pretty difficult, which means that you're limiting the type of formula you get, Mm -hmm. which also limits the type of ingredients you can Mm -hmm. put in. So, and it doesn't help that a lot of these ingredients are not actually tied to microbiome help. So, you know, we're definitely in terms of customization, in terms of cheek swabs, doing all this right now, um, still has a lot more work to be done. Um, and I would say that if you are thinking about, you know, your overall microbiome help, um, some overarching ways is just have a healthy skin barrier. Yes. Uh, lower pH uh, cleansers are found to be helpful. So think about that in more general sense than actually saying that, you know, my skin needs like the absolute, um, I guess, combo of actives, you know, and I would say that that's not actually possible right now. Right. And also don't DIY your own formula thinking that you know the secret to your skin. So, yeah. Yeah. And kind of to highlight that point, as I mentioned, the Vanessa Hudgens line is actually very lean. I think there's a total of like seven, eight products. Mm. And some of the hero ingredients they champion are things like xylitol, aloe, caffeine they use uh hpr or grand active retinol in one of their products uh, and they also have squalene and um t and one of the ascorbyl phosphates so not nothing super new these are um these are good ingredients in general i have a lot of feels about caffeine and how it does absolutely <laughs> nothing for you but um generally speaking these are all um the, these are all tried and true or mm-hmm. ingredients very common yeah so how does that translate to your customized dna worthy experience i don't know yeah another launch is a kid skincare brand called proudly yeah proudly is a kid skincare brand that's going to be launched by gabby reunion and Dwayne ray coming up i'm still thinking about writing <laughs> <laughs> anyway it's coming out end of 2021 so we'll keep our eyes peeled for it yep uh, I guess we are due for an athlete launch, so that makes sense. Um, and then the next one, we're just going to keep going. So the next one is ScarJo. Holy crap, the celebrity train does not stop, but uh, she is also coming out of skincare line. And we don't really know much about it yet. There, I don't think there's a firm launch day. No. I'm sure I'm sure they'll come out with a big campaign around time. Yeah, one of the quotes has been uh, from them is that, the result is a clean, accessible approach to beauty. And I don't know clean what that means. has been thrown around a few times in their dialogue. So if that gives you a sense of what to come, but who knows? Yeah, I don't um, really know what that means, but I guess we'll look forward to it. Yep. Yep. All right. And then we have one not so celebrity, but an expansion of a brand uh, in Sumbum. Yep. Sumbum has a new skincare line. Mm. Uh, so check it out. I actually decided to call out their daily cleanser. Mm. Um, their daily cleanser is a simple, gentle surfactant-based um, cleanser that had that uses sodium cocoyl isothionate mm-hmm. or SCI. Um, this is considered in the industry one of the most gentle surfactant you can get. Yeah. Personally, 
not huge fans, but we know a lot of people have had success with this. Yeah. And the reason why we decided to call out this product in particular is it is a very rare case where this is pretty much the only mm-hmm. surfactant in this cleanser. Right. So if you have never tried, um, if you want to dabble in this surfactant, this is maybe a product you can pick up to know if it will work well for your skin or not. Yeah, and the thing is, like, uh, a lot of people ask us to decode cleansers, and that's mm-hmm. actually the hard part for us because most cleansers are a blend. Um, there is an advantage to blending. Um, you can balance and fine-tune, like, gentleness with cleansing power that way. Um, we do it ourselves. Um, and But if you're really trying to, like, just find a good place to start in gentle surfactants, um, agreed. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I actually kind of skimmed their other products. And I just want to point out that they definitely love and are riding the banana extract train because that's in everything. Um, but also want to call out that they seem to have niacinamide in every product as well. And we always talk about how, like, you know, sometimes you can you still can have too much of a good thing even with niacinamide. And just to remember that you only need between 2 to 5%. So yeah, that would be so. our main highlights for if you are trying to look into some bum. Yeah. Oh, that's it for the that's news. That's it for the news. Lots of celebrities all over the place. Ah, oh, man. Uh, I really am sad we did not do a bracket. I yeah. think we could have made some good money on it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, definitely next year, for sure. <laughs> um, all right, it's time for the real meat. Oh, God, this one's going to be juicy meat. Yeah. Right. Um. So what are we covering, Gloria? All right. So this is about time. <laughs> We've had a lot of questions about um, all the sunscreen controversies. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to highlight four major areas mm-hmm. of um, sunscreen controversy. The first one is the FDA bloodstream study um, about how sunscreen does get into your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about coral reefs. We're going to talk about how the Purito um, controversy and how a lot of there's quite been quite a few recalls from Korean brands um, with unreliable SPF results. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, the new benzene in your sunscreen yeah so that is what we're gonna attempt to cover but first things first um i just wanna i just want i highlight while i was doing research for this pro uh, for this podcast episode i came across this paper that came out in 2000 that it's more of an opinion piece by a professor uh in this pe- paper he talked about how Oh, you know, like 10 years ago, so I guess in the early 90s or in the 80s, sunscreen SPF values is only like around 10. Mm-hmm. And then he said, oh, now we're seeing like 15, 30 percent or mm-hmm. even higher what gives. And in the paper, they talked about how his opinion is that SPF system is dated and not very useful and also gives people a false sense of security, which mm-hmm. may lead to these instances of skin cancer. Um, I decided to call this paper because it's just a little bit over 10 years ago. So it's crazy to see how much SPF value has evolved since then. Mm-hmm. And also this um, behavior, you know, like people are now more, a lot more cognizant of how much sunscreen to use and how often they should be reapplying. And so just want to point out that we're it's a constant learning process yeah. and um, and we're moving very, very fast in general. Yeah. So, yeah. I actually think the paper is a great read and I mm-hmm. it made me go down the rabbit hole of figuring out who this professor was. And I realized um, Professor Diffie actually has been in sunscreen for a very long time. He's actually the man in sunscreen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I first of all, if you want to take a look, he's written over 300 papers on sunscreens. Um, he's a professor of photobiology 
in dermatology science. Um, And so that's incredibly specific. And he's not a derm, but the fact that you can even focus in photobiology is awesome. And um, anyways, from the University of Newcastle. And he's actually still doing research in sunscreen. And one of the things that I thought was interesting is he's doing a mathematical model of erythema, um, mm -hmm. sunburn, um, to see if there's a way to correlate that um, without having to do in vivo testing. Um, And he's also the guy who who came up with the critical wavelength measurement for Mm -hmm. UVA. So big dog and sun everything. Yeah, and it's really comprehensive. Um, I didn't get to dabble too much in his papers, but some of it is like you feel like he's going into a little bit of like behavioral psychology on like applying sunscreen. Like you mentioned the SPF rating. He's like, it gives people a false sense of security if I apply SPF 50 that mm-hmm. I'm covered. And then they're a lot more loose about reapplying mm-hmm. or even putting the right amount. So um, really fascinating history. If you really want to get into it, that's, I would say, a great place to start. But yeah. Um, oh, so oh, there was one more thing I wanted yeah. to point out from the study is so you'll hear we'll reference this um, quite a lot in today's podcast. But um, when you test for SPF value, the thickness, uh, the amount they're applying is two milligrams per centimeter square. Mm. Um, in this paper, he referenced that a lot of people actually only apply between 0.5 and 1.3. And this is why um, this is still true today. Most people are under applying. Yep. Um, so we always say more is more in um, sunscreen. Yeah, we just did a Instagram post kind of testing the trendy TikTok two finger method. Um, which to us, if you think about the surface area of your finger and your face, it really doesn't seem like enough. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we did find out that that seems wildly low. Yeah. Um, so if you are using that method, um, again, consider I'll... adding a finger to it. <laughs> <laughs> Get a little exploratory. <laughs> Feel a little brave. Hey. <laughs> and also double glaze, like, double donut, glaze. like your donut. <laughs> <laughs> all the entendre, uh, all the meaning. Crispy cream all over your fingers, <laughs> however many. <laughs> uh, all right, so anyway, uh, bloodstream study. Hit me, Gloria. All right, so um, the FDA bloodstream study came out at this right before the pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. 2018, 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically it showed that uh, it does sh- showcase that a lot of sunscreen does seem to end up in your bloodstream. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to call out that around this time, what's not helpful is um, sensationalist headlines. We felt very bad for the FDA when this first came out. Yeah. So the thing is, like, they did a responsible thing where, of course, they released data. And a lot of them will follow up, say, hey, that doesn't mean sunscreen isn't safe. We are doing follow up studies. We're trying to understand more. So, like. Around the time it came out, I actually went to one of the symposiums mm-hmm. um, that's like kind of co the, the co-host about FDA, and one of the uh, one of the people involved in testing came on, and he just looked so tired. Yeah. And one of the things that he highlighted was, hey, like the uh, the point five nanograms per um, per milliliter reference of like the safety level is very flawed yeah. because they use a number for every Everything. substance. Yeah. Which, as you can imagine, is, like, very different, right? Even if you think of, like, what, like, LD50 numbers. Yeah. Um, and think about, you know, we always harp on concentration matters. The dose makes the poison. Like, 
this clearly what calls into question is this number that they're quoting for what acceptable concentration is allowed in the in your bloodstream. Yeah. Um, I think the other thing to remind people is actually if you are in the industry and um, kind of know the history of sunscreens, this actually isn't new. They've right. always known that there are fil- these filters are detected in your bloodstream and in your urine. Um, so um, and the other thing to keep in mind is this is maxim- ba- maximum concentration. Yes. So um, actually, uh, I really liked a piece or a quote from Professor Diffie, the guy who Gloria mm-hmm. mentioned in the article, said that on average, the person's probably only putting a tenth of that amount of sunscreen on their face a day. So if that gives you an idea of not saying that, you know, it's irrelevant. Um, clearly, it makes a lot of sense for the FDA to test under the most uh, rigorous um, concentration and mm-hmm. protocol. Um, but in terms of takeaway, we're still waiting. Yeah. Know? And I just remember that guy, he was like dead in his eyes. Yeah. He was like, I just want to reiterate to everyone that yeah. like, you know, like the sense, uh, skin cancer is still the enemy. Yeah. Here's what we're doing to continually like explore and understand exactly. the safety constraints of sunscreens. But please don't use sunscreen. But <clears throat> journal articles have not been doing them a lot of favors. So I actually pulled a lot of different headlines of around that time to showcase the uphill battle that we're all in. So Reuters, I think, was pretty fair. They wrote, sunscreen re- uh, ingredients really do seep into the blood. Is that bad? And then they quoted... Um, seep. Seeps. Your yeah. skin's just like... <laughs> <laughs> So they quoted Dr. Adam Friedman, who is a chairman of dermatology at George Washington University. Uh, and I thought he gave a really good line, which uh, he wrote, he said, it's completely misinterpreted. Uh, he mm. said, just because it's in the blood doesn't mean it's not safe. And it doesn't mean it is safe either. The answer is we don't know. Yeah, I can understand why a lot of people think that's not a very satisfactory answer, but it's a reality of where we are right now. Also, uh, this might scare you a little bit. There's a lot of other things in your blood, too. Yeah. Um, just the way it is that's it's life also yeah. think about the things that you ingest um yeah so yeah so we're just out to understand more mm-hmm. uh, and then next cnn has seven sunscreen chemicals enter the bloodstream after one use fda says but don't abandon sun protection <laughs> <laughs> so i like that they try to be fair but the beginning parts just sounded very Once alarming you know the seven sunscreen chemicals enter bloodstream is what shows up in the google search yeah so, so yeah. Damn. and then new york times decided to just keep it very lukewarm and write how safe is sunscreen which i actually hate because that just kind of adds doubt to the entire category mm-hmm. and what does that actually do for everyone right and then wall street journal had Sunscreen chemicals accumulate in bodies at high levels. Whoa, 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 whoa. Shame. Shame. Detection and accumulation. Not the same concept. And then they even wrote this line, which I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? They wrote, "Uh, for comparison, a concentration of four nanograms per milliliter of THC, the compound in marijuana that gets you high, corresponds to a blood alcohol content of 0.04% by weight. I, I copy and pasted this quote. So whoever wrote this, are you high? <laughs> about what a person weighing 180 pounds would register after drinking two beers. Yeah, that's that's not how... That's apples, durians, and concrete block. Like, just... Worst, worst form of writing. You yeah. are correlating things of completely different natures um, in the same sentence. 
that doesn't help the reader. You're only in, inciting fear. Shame. Yeah. Shame also, on you. No one is getting high on sunscreen during the blushing. <laughs> if you are, tell me. <laughs> right to us. Right to us. Are you okay? So, and then yeah. my favorite is, of course, a Daily Mail, which I hope most people don't wouldn't take them very、yeah. seriously anyway. But this is like just a prime example of like. Shit that was out there from this study.、Okay. The Daily Mail's、uh, headline was: "Sunscreens leach up to 360 times more toxic chemicals into the blood than the FDA allows, raising risks for liver and kidney failure." Study finds. Oh my God! Daily Mail was. Where the hell are you getting your info from? So I think the general takeaway: if you ever hear of any drama in skincare, is if you have a knee-jerk reaction right off, right out of the gate at A title, an article that you read, just pause for a second. You know,、um, most likely there's a lot that needs to be cleared up before、mm-hmm. uh, someone can make that kind of sweeping statement. Unfortunately, it happens too easily because everyone's all about the click. Yeah.、Um, but yeah. So, anyways, let's all just take a breather here. It's going to be okay. Yeah. So anyway, I think for me, this stud, this. This whole drama was really hard for me to talk about because,、mm. um, while like, please, please don't use sunscreen.、Mm-hmm. I mean, look to physical if you want to avoid the controversy. We understand why this seems really alarming,、yeah. but I think the conversation around it isn't helpful to progress.、Mm-hmm. And just remember that a lot of times these these、uh, ingredients that get called in question, even after they're proven guilty, some sometimes <coughs> parabens. They're tossed so firmly under the bus that there's no rolling back good、yeah. ingredients. It's just really tough. Yeah, and also like I, I think the thing that also、um, people can kind of take away from is they think that your skin is very porous,、mm-hmm. and that's really not the case here. You know, sunscreens are meant to bind to the top level, just top level stratum、mm-hmm. corneum of your skin. You know, I don't, I. I really fear like when people think that oh my skin is a sponge and、mm-hmm. to be honest as formulators that's actually our most difficult thing when it comes to creating anti aging ingredients because the skin is so difficult at absorbing、mm-hmm. actives so、um, hopefully that gives you some frame of reference、um, but yeah we're just waiting now for more work to be done、um, but no surprises here yeah it's gonna yeah. be okay guys、yeah. also we should put out there that people like the Daily Mail when they say that. These things could be possibly causing cancer, and there's nothing that's been shown to link to like that. These chemical filters are, are linked、unsafe. and are unsafe, and could potentially be harmful. So I definitely want to put that out there. That yeah, despite what you read, there's a lot out there. You could get into some pretty dark rabbit holes.、Um, so definitely try to refrain from thinking that line. Yes, not true. No、okay. evidence. <laughs> so that is. Chunky me part one. <laughs> All right, next coral reef. Coral reef. Oh, oh okay. Coral, coral reef. reefs.、Uh. So this all started. Well, it's been a hot topic in、mm. sun、uh, in sun care for a long time. Yeah.、Um, a couple years ago,、uh, Hawaii banned、uh, octanoxia、mm. and oxybenzone,、mm-hmm. and、um, I think Florida follows suit.、Mm-hmm. Fiji Island follows suit.、Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, why are oxybenzone octanoxia used? Yeah. So, oh, why they're used? Yeah, I was gonna say why are they banned? <laughs>、yeah. um, well, they're used because they are good chemical filters.、Um, they 
have great texture. They can, you know, this is the other realm outside of mineral. And, um, you know, they're, they're actually incredibly common and uh, they really provide an added uh, benefit of, again, texture and no white cast. So that's why these are so prevalent in chemical sunscreens. And um, I think the thing to note is um, it's been flagged it, from the start is because they found that when tested in a lab setting mm -hmm. at a very questionable concentration, aka high concentration, you're seeing corals reefs start to bleach. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when this whole, I guess, train was created and started, people started writing that and, you know, throwing this under the bus. Yeah. And just about uh, when we, they do pull ocean samples mm -hmm. and to see how much of it you can find in ocean and mm -hmm. just know that it's like, some for mo in most cases is ten to a hundred times the difference of what they tested for and what's actually found in ocean. Yeah, even so near huge, huge difference. Yeah, and another thing is it's actually very problematic to test these things because mm -hmm. if you think about it, coral reefs are incredibly diverse and they're very sensitive. So which species are you testing? Most papers only test for one species. Mm -hmm. Um, how does that really impact on a a grand like whole coral reef scale? <laughs> And then also, a lot of these coral reefs are very, very temperature sensitive and sensitive to light, other composition in the water. So let's say in the laboratory, you are synthesizing, creating a pristine uh, ocean-wide water yeah. environment for them without the other difficulties that they are dealing with in real life. Like, what does that, what does that tell you? Also, how do you quantify how much filter and that concentration, what should that be mm -hmm. um, in these scenarios? That's also very difficult. So yeah, it's and a the, 360 problem. And the biggest, the biggest issue with this is coral reefs are just dealing with the whole gamut of BS. You yeah. know, they're having a tough time. One of the biggest, um, biggest problem is actually just the rising ocean temperature. Mm -hmm. um, most corals thrive on a very, very narrow temperature window. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one. And something that I wasn't super aware of beforehand is um, a lot of researchers have called that agricultural runoffs. Because mm -hmm. these water runoffs are really highly nutritious. Sometimes it has a lot of sediments. And all these can disrupt like just like the very delicate balance of microorganisms in yeah. ocean water. Yeah. People are looking at just waste in general, you know, mm -hmm. these like nanofibers that come from clothing and all that, that there's, if you can tell, there's just, there's a lot of factors to think about. Um, so while we're definitely not saying that we shouldn't look into this, because right. we definitely should, um, just understand that nah, it's a 4D problem that... Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> oh, it's oh. time. It's time. We have some tinfoil hats again. We got tinfoil hats. Glory be mine and must think my head is very small. Yeah, so... um, I really look like a foil bishop. <laughs> tinfoil <laughs> pope is here. <laughs> anyway, today's tinfoil hat theory is um, while I had... I, I didn't think under no illusion that the skincare industry or cosmetic industry is perfect, but... It is also easy scapegoats. Yes. Um, a lot of times, like, <laughs> easily thrown under the bus. The I can't move because it's core exercise. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's easy to call out and say, oh, look at cosmetics, bad beauty, mm. big beauty conglomerates, bad, mm. because bigger problems like the rising ocean temperature or mm. agriculture runoff, it's just a little too detached from consumers. Yeah. So it's like that issue doesn't, or people might feel like, oh, it's so daunting, you don't know what to do. It's like the plastic straws. Right. Right. But that that easily was wiped out 
because they were like me sea turtles but there's like a much bigger problem at hand you know but while we're not saying that that's like a it's a useless thing to do i think there is definitely we should give credit to just like being conscious you mm-hmm. know like if everyone does their part to be conscious and um you know even the idea of like hey i i love the coral reef um there's people that are like i I know that the science isn't quite there yet, but mm-hmm. it does bring me hives. You know, mm-hmm. like I totally understand that sentiment and it's totally fine to say like, what can I do more? You know, cause that's, that only leads a path to better habits and, you know, better behavior to like take care of our earth. So anyways, I, I just wanted to say like, that's, it's a fair sentiment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where I think the danger is also uh, sometimes when you call out things like, oh, like oxybenzone bad, mm. maybe that's almost oversimplifying a problem or you feel like, oh, if we get, rid of oxybenzone, coral reefs are saved. It's like putting a band-aid on an a- amputation. Why is Gloria? Why don't you tell them all the other ingredients that have been flagged in harming the coral reefs? Yeah, so uh, it's, a, it's a crap ton of stuff. Um, yeah. uh, even, so nano-zinc has been flagged. Mm-hmm. Titanium dioxide seems relatively vanilla. But the good news is, um, so here's where it's also kind of hard. It's like, oh, at what how do you read the data, right? Because if mm-hmm. you just read what disrupts coral life, a uh, coral reef life cycle, yeah. and it seems like everything under the sun. Yeah. But then you look at like, oh, what's the relative concentration at which they are effective? Not effective. What's Bad. <laughs> at what concentration they start to cause problems? Mm-hmm. Um, so oxybenzone, octanoxate were flagged because they seem to cause bleaching at relatively lower concentration. They were the first. <laughs> they were the first. Um, but something that I find kind of interesting, kind of difficult to talk about is it seems like a lot of reef safe sunscreen brands, they just they call out all chemical filters um, in, in one sweeping statement. Yep. And I just find that a little unhelpful, especially because nano zinc and nano titanium dioxide seems to also not be great. And you don't have to in the US, you don't have to claim if you're using nano zinc or not. Yeah. So, there's that can of worms. So um, I, I totally agree. I, I think the thing that I'm really afraid of is now like you're seeing all these like reef safe mm-hmm. sunscreens and it's becoming a sticker yeah. that kind of is going along with like the whole clean beauty, the, you know, vegan, the no animal testing stickers. And if that becomes the norm, then like it just feels like we're making a very broad sweeping statement to sunscreens. And I feel like the idea here shouldn't be that, hey, we should totally get rid of chemicals and Mm -hmm. only use mineral, you know. And if you feel like, you know, let's be real, like when this becomes an issue is when is really when you're out in the ocean. Right. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about like you're in the city and you need to use a reef safe. Um, To be honest, like that 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 we're nowhere near understanding that that impact Mm -hmm. right now is simply just like looking at direct you know kind of like a direct correlation of the sunscreen in the ocean from tourists you know and that kind of concentration out into the coral reef so i think that's something just to like keep in mind yeah so so what is a consumer to do in this hot mess like kind of some of everything we talked about when you're going into say hawaii or like by the ocean you're going for a swim um consider non-nano zinc and or titanium mm-hmm. dioxide products that means you'd be pasty yeah but then you look <laughs> like mark zuckerberg so you should also be real with yourself and if you want to use chemical just know that um 
just avoid oxybenzone and octanoxate. Those are the two main ones that's flagged. The other stuff are like nowhere near the level and the realistically aren't, aren't really going to be at a concentration that's going to harm coral reefs. So go for that. And if you want to do more, if you're really passionate about ocean con- conservation, um, check out some other ocean conservation project that has nothing to do with skincare or beauty because you'll see that those problems can be even bigger and more daunting than replacing sunscreen. Yeah, I think that's a great sentiment. You know, I know there's uh, there's definitely a, a subset of people that are like, this data doesn't mean anything. Right. And ergo, like, we should just, you know, keep, you know, keep it chugging, keep it moving along, you know. And, you know, that's generally fine, too. This is your choice, you mm-hmm. know. Um, but I, I totally respect the sentiment of being like, hey, I just want to do my part. Nothing mm-hmm. wrong with that. And as Gloria has shared... The NOA has like has a guide here mm, to yes. show you all the things you can all do to help the ocean. Do. Yeah. Aside from sunscreen, that's helpful. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. Again, that's this is those tea topics are so hard to talk about, and I feel like Gloria, keep it together. Uh, we got two more. I know. We got two more. I just feel like it's hard to get. Okay, I understand why. Like people, it's so much easier to just like get out your like indignant pitchfork and be like how do you ever use oxybenzone you know like some of the things that we have talked about talk about it's nuanced and there's like there's different slice to it so it's like we have to defend the bad things we're talking about and it just also just a reminder that we only have so few filters in the u.s as well Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. what does that mean in terms of you know if you do start nixing these guys um what are we left with i mean we're still waiting it's been over 20 years and we're still waiting for a new ingredient oh yeah so the sunscreen symposium went to uh back in 2019 it was scheduled and originally supposed to be about these like the new fda monograph that's coming out oh wait we got the bloodstream study yeah about the monograph we're gonna have to keep waiting (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah Yeah. yep that's that's just the reality of it by the way i'm gonna be very very sad if somehow like in the u.s we're stuck with just zinc and titanium dioxide i know i could not agree more i so been dabbling in some nano formulas Mm. still draggy yeah hate to say it still draggy yeah i still hate it i i haven't <laughs> mm, i haven't used i i'm okay with hybrid formulas the ones that use combined zinc and some chemical filters mostly in the i think japan's been doing that a lot mm. i've seen a lot of new japanese formulas that combine uh zinc oxide with some chemicals which by the way different can of worms zinc oxide and chemicals sometimes don't mix well there's a lot like say avobenzone avobenzone hates zinc yeah so. some other uvbs too yeah yeah, there's that. All right. Awesome. But anyway, that's uh, that's the coral reef. On to number three, kooky FPF results. Oh, this <laughs> this is the one that's gonna be the meatiest of them all. Because us chemists, we have a lot of feels about it. Uh, yeah. So actually, sorry, I really want to say like the first two topics, uh, bloodstream and coral reefs. A lot of it's like somewhat out of our control, right? Like there's like a lot mm-hmm. behind the scenes work or coral reefs. There's like a lot of different industries involved. Mm-hmm. 
that wonky SF SPF result is a chemist like true. Yeah, this is all us. Yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Let's say this is on chemists for creating wonky SPF formulas. That's not true. Yeah, no, but uh, it definitely hits home. Yeah, for something us, we for sure. actively have to deal with. Yeah. So the drama is. Um, I believe Inky Decoder came out with some testing of their own that some of these Korean sunscreens don't actually hold up in their SPF value. Mm -hmm. And um, bottom line is, as chemists, we are not surprised. Yeah, so um, Victor in Victoria's previous life, she's had to deal with some... So to give you guys a quick rundown of how formulating sunscreens work is... Basically, you have a SPF target. Um, it depends on whether you're uh, what you're formulating. It can be a cream, it can be a liquid, whatever it is. There's a general brief of what you're doing, and when you're formulating, you have to keep doing quick checks, right? Let's say you want to add an active ingredient, you have to run to the and and none of these are in vivo. They're not on actual skin. You do a quick check in vitro on a glass mm -hmm. plate to kind of see, make sure like. SPF doesn't do wonky things. Right. And the crazy part is you, the filter system is probably decided fairly early and you don't touch it for a few iterations, yet SPF value can just change like crazy. And the only way to really validate that um, and to really be sure is through in vivo testing. Mm -hmm. So that's why it can get incredibly expensive if you want to do it to the best standard possible. Um, so... Yep, I've definitely spent a good share, a chunk of my time uh, doing some SPF studies. Fascinating the things you can find um, in terms of how the littlest change in your formula uh, could suddenly drop your SPF value. Um, overall, uh, SPFs, both chemical and mineral, are not easy to formulate. Yeah. Um, and that's just the nature of the game. And so when we hear about, you know, some of these SPF values, um, not holding up. Uh, again, it's just, eh, it's like, oh, that that really sucks. Yeah. Oh no. Damn, bro. Colored me <laughs> shock. <laughs> yeah. So, just to highlight a few formulation challenges yeah. you may encounter: um, chemical sunscreen, a lot of instability. Mm -hmm. Avo is notorious for being unstable, mm -hmm. so you need. Also, doesn't like to interact with many filters that yeah. it needs. So yeah. Yeah. So that's that's one. Um, zinc and titanium dioxide is they don't like staying it's a powder it doesn't like stay, staying suspended so there is that stability problem things might settle if you don't formulate correctly and it's also process dependent which is yeah. another nightmare that chemists have to deal with and that's really important because if you don't have a uniform formula that means your application is not going to be good enough to give you proper protection also preservation always a challenge it's mm -hmm. yeah so um oh and the reason being zinc is um neutral so zinc formulas tend to be a ph around seven ish which is actually an asshole of a ph to preserve yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly so you know um that just gives you just a few of the problems we've encountered all sorts sometimes sunscreens love to eat plastic which makes it the worst thing to try to package mm -hmm. um so you know hopefully that gives you a pretty good idea it's of like chemist AA meeting. 
And then I made this beautiful formula that ate my bottle. I really feel like that. I'm like, I tried to love it. I tried to do good by it. I told it a good still story. spits me up. Yeah. I gave a good vibes the whole time and listened to Dalai Lama was formulating. But goddamn. So true. Um, so, but that's just so from a formulation perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to talk about testing, that's a whole animal in itself. Yeah, we realized that I don't think um, for for just consumers and like all of you watching this, not a lot of people outline testing and uh, not a lot of people know what actually goes into SPF testing. And since this is a problem at hand, we are going to break it down or we'll try to break it down for you. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of different tests available um, and, and they're separate and uh, UVB or SPF value testing is mm-hmm. completely different than UVA or broad spectrum testing. Mm-hmm. Um, so UVB testing, um, the big one is ISO 24444. Two fours. Two and four fours. So the FDA monograph is another another testing. And then uh, there is uh, Japan's JCIA and Australia. But basically, these are all very, very similar to the two Four, 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 four. So, four. <laughs> Sorry. It's four fours. <laughs> it will be typed here. I told you four, 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 yeah. four. Yeah. And this is for in vivo mm-hmm. of UVB and UVB. establishing that SPF value. Right. Um, this might be surprising to a lot of people, but the uh, the protocol says N equals 10. So your That's SPF, it. yeah, your SPF value is actually determined by just ten subjects. Um, to be fair, it's, it's decided on ten because they real uh, um, with the two milligram per centimeter square um testing protocol, they see very little very variability in the data, mm-hmm. so they're like ten's good enough. Um, but I find what I find fascinating is I was digging into the differences, the minor differences between say. The FDA mm-hmm. version, the standard ISO two quad four um, <laughs> um, testing regimen, and they they differ a little bit in like so n equals ten is a base level s- sample mm-hmm. size, but for example in the US it's uh, you recruit thirteen, and just to like kind of prepare for any accidents that may happen, whatever whatever may cause you to throw out three data sets, you have at least n equals ten. But I saw that in uh, I think it's the 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 standard ISO it's n equals twenty max and you're allowed to throw out five data points which to me I'm like boy this is that seems like a lot of data points to throw out with just twenty people so in some ways like I'll try to provide kind of like the industry's challenges with this mm-hmm. is like um so for bigger companies when you what happens is they'll probably be doing testing up until this point and the nature of sunscreens is that um sometimes the data is just that inconsistent which probably gives you a lot of fear and anxiety but like that's kind of how it is and we're not even talking about like trying to test a formula in different um longitude latitude areas that also can make a difference which makes no sense at all because the because the protocol is standardized but that's how it is. And that brings us to another question, which is um, a product can get their SPF value based on one test. but Just one. Just one, right? So you don't have to repeat a test. But to us, what gives us hype is, as we mentioned, it might not be very compatible yes. with the product and yes. things might not be very stable. Mm-hmm. So let's say 
you're testing a, a freshly made batch for to get your SPF value, does that SPF value stay static? Mm-hmm. It's not technically required for brands to find out. Right. We know some brands that do more testing throughout like their stability shelf life. And but the re- reality is since it's not required and sometimes like I know I know we had we had some negative feedback about how we didn't oh we didn't promote indie brands with sunscreens. Um, and because this is why this is why yeah a lot of indie brands wouldn't have the funding to do it twice much less even know that they should do it before and after stability yeah so just to add some clarity what we mm-hmm. mean that what we mean by that is that um, the ideal scenario to get a sunscreen tested from a brand perspective is as soon as it's made yes in packaging but um, a chemist job is to make sure that the formula holds during its entire shelf life, mm-hmm. um, which means that you want to have the product age over a specific amount of time and then do the study so that you understand how the formula, um, when it's had some time to, I don't brew. know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> brew uh, and age. Um, how does it hold up? And so um, let's just say there's a lot of room for brands to do more yeah. um, in terms of sunscreen and testing validation. Uh, but it does require a much bigger wallet, and that's why we give we have to give big companies credit that they're the ones that have to do this because they're very afraid of class action lawsuits. They're very afraid of all the press that they're hearing, mm-hmm. so they're going to put them through a much rigorous testing protocol. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the quick rundown of just the UVB portion of it. Yeah. And note that your UVB, even though the sample size is small, it has to be done on actual human skin. Yeah. And then we have UVA testing. So UVA testing, there are uh, the two main ISO standardized testing. One mm-hmm. is 24442 and 24443. Mm-hmm. Um, 24442 is an in vivo test that's kind of set up very similarly to the SPF mm-hmm. um, UVB testing. But 24443 is an in vitro test. Yeah. What do we mean by in vitro? <laughs> so what happens is you get a little glass plate. That's coded, mm-hmm. PMMA. You take a finger condom. It's, 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 it's a truly straight up, finger it's an actual finger condom. Put it on this finger. Mm-hmm. You or apply the weight and amount. <laughs> and then you rip. Yep. And you let sit and dry. And then you measure the plate. You and that's the protocol. Sticking a machine, and that's it. And you read the critical wavelength. Yeah, so I found a fascinating thing. So that's that's what you are required. Uh, that's all that's required. So what brands required. are required yeah. to do. You don't have to do the in vivo version. Mm-hmm. In vitro version is usually fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is, um, this is where the FDA requirement and the ISO level and the, the EU requirement may differ a little bit more. Uh, in the Japanese JCIA, they kind of rank that rating. So that's where you see the uh, PA+, PA++, PPD. Yeah. And then for the EU version, to get the um, the UV, the UVA sticker, it needs to be on the same level as the PA++++ um, level. Um, but the FDA is a lot more floofy with their broad spectrum le- label requirement. Right. So it has to be, what it wants to see is it hits a 370 nanometer wavelength. That 90% of that falls um, under the 370 nanometers. So um, by doing that, you're basically saying you get a decent amount of UVA protection, but you're not quantifying that. So that's that's where we feel like broad spectrum of, as a label just really isn't enough. 
And the reason behind this is because they focus on UVB because of skin cancer. UVA, although does contribute, is more in terms of beauty, you know, yeah. photo aging, tanning. So with that, that's why the guideline is a little less stringent. And they adopt this in vitro because it saves brands a lot of money. And time. Honest, and time. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say, like, if you want to think about it that way, um, that's why um, it's makes us happy to see that a lot of U.S. brands are trying to make sure their UVA does get that JCIA testing and get that PA plus plus value. So, yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I really just want to highlight a few variables in these test, different mm-hmm. testing methods that can kind of cause the wonky results. I really think the wonky result partially is because of stability testing mm-hmm. um, and the lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Um, there are other things that can affect it. So, for example, I saw if you Google the thing, the reality is wonky SPF results is not a new thing. Mm-hmm. So if you Google it, you will see it. In, you'll see papers from Mexico, the Philippines, Sweden. You know, people have done this over and over again. And I think classic is Consumer Reports. Yeah. You usually will hear about something that about that almost every year, I believe. Yeah. yeah. So um, so there are a few things. One, of course, we mentioned the small sample size. Mm-hmm. We mentioned stability. Some brands do a better job than others testing it for it. And another one is, this is kind of interesting, but... Um, for those of you who's bought skincare decoded and read it, we had a small section <laughs> on Fitzpatrick skill. So Fitzpatrick skill is a basic, um, basically a skin tone ranking mm-hmm. skill that Derms and some researchers use. It basically classifies your skin tone based on how easily you get sunburn from yep. one to six. Yeah. Um, and for SPF testing, you obviously you want to test for. They allow for recruitment. Recruiting uh, Fitzpatrick scale one, two, three, mm-hmm. uh, which means like kind of like. I'm probably a two-ish ranking. I'm so. probably a three. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that seems fair because otherwise, if you recruit any darker, they wouldn't burn. It's mm-hmm. harder to like gauge uh, how much sun damage really done by just visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, but the issue is one, two, three is actually can be kind of broad. Yes. And it isn't necessarily required that you have to include a one, two, or three. And remember those data points you can th- kind of throw out. Exactly. So uh, if I wanted to make this advantageous, I would recruit 13 like threes. Lots of threes. Time to recruit them. Yeah. 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 So that could play into it. Um, and also in vitro, something, uh, this kind of neat paper I found compared the roughness of the glass plates, and that actually plays a huge role in the number that you get back and how consistent it is. Um, and we're talking about a few micrograms difference. And these in the protocol, um, this is where the FDA protocol does also differ from the ISO protocol of how rough that surface can be. Just a few things for all you nerds out there. Say, why. So yeah. To- kind of sum up basically that um the takeaway here should be that per different countries there's Mm. different ways of testing sunscreen um we appreciate brands that do do, uh perform a more rigorous uva testing with in with the in vivo method Mm -hmm. um that's how you get the pa and ppd numbers um and the other thing here is you know while it does sound like you do I mistrust? Do am I supposed to be doubting SPF values here? Um, no, that's that's not the case. I I want to. This is not to. Um, I guess uh, stick up for the Korean sunscreens with fit, with lower SPFs, but mm-hmm. um, on average, some of them are around SPF fifteen um, when they claim SPF fifty. And although like 
that is a significant difference. SPF 15 is still a relevant level of protection. So I wouldn't say that you, you definitely cannot make the statement that, holy cow, I've been using this sunscreen for three years and it's been giving me, I've, I've been just unprotected from potential skin cancer, you know? So that, that's kind of what, how we want to kind of give you a more well-rounded perspective on all of this. Yeah. And I, and I also think that, um, something else to think about is, some people might get really mad at the brands themselves. So for mm. us to like go through all the testing things, yeah. this is not something Gloria Victoria can decide. It's not something these brands decide. This is a whole like top level. This is the Regulatory. state of the industry. Yep. Yep. You know, a lot of these, these brands, like say like Crave, Purito, they follow the guidelines and they tested their formulas. And, and maybe, maybe there's room that they could have done more, but at the same time, like, this is what they're supposed to do. This is what the industry guidelines are. You know, they test out once and that's it. So it is a bigger conversation that honestly the whole industry has been having for decades. And in some ways could happen to anyone. Yeah. You know? So is it necessarily <laughs> like true irresponsibility and recklessness from a brand? No, not really. Yeah. And to sum up, this is why the two of us have not come out with our own sunscreen formula. <laughs> but should you want, please donate to here. Just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, we got so many inquiries yeah. when we um, from people who are fans of our products. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my God, when are you coming out with the sunscreen? You know, like, I feel like yeah. I will really trust you guys with sunscreen. And we're like, we hear you. It is a long journey. And the testing budget be a little dry right now. Yeah, exactly. We we would really want to do that right. Um, answer all the questions we have and the gripes we have about sunscreens and sunscreen testing. But boy, do we need a budget. Yeah, yeah, for real. Yeah, so. All right. And finally... Um, it's time to talk about benzene. Goodbye. <laughs> the glory is signing off. In your sunscreen. <laughs> <laughs> benzene in your sunscreen. DJ Tori in the <laughs> Oh, God. Oh, All right, sorry. Let's... All right, cool. It's a, it's a, it's a carcinogen. Yeah. <laughs> right, let's uh, let's back the beer. Oh, God. All right. <laughs> Oh my god, another carcinogen linked to sunscreens. It's <laughs> as if they just gotta hire a more decent PO. <laughs> I just anyway, I really I when we when I saw that article, my first my first response was like, oh my god, sunscreen cannot catch a break. Yeah. Um Okay. Where do you begin? Which I would say that of the th four things we've talked about here. This would be least on my priority in terms of concern. Mm -hmm. um, so what happened? Ballysure, which is a third party like quality and safety assessment group, um, basically screened 300 sunscreens and detected benzene in 78 of these sunscreens. Mm -hmm. And just like Laura talked about with the bloodstream, it's time to read some headlines that followed soon after. Ah. <clears throat> Sunscreens with benzene forces recall for several top brands, which there actually was not a recall, I believe. It's merely a launch of your batch number and whatnot. But anyways, we'll talk more about it later. Next thing. The carcinogen benzene was found in these 78 sunscreens. Dun, dun, dun. It's a lot. It's a big number. Uh, number three. Cancer-causing chemical found in over 70 popular sunscreen brands. Um... Number four, which probably is my favorite, bad day sunshine. Benzene found in many sun care products. 
And finally, consumers should be very concerned, in quotes, <laughs> about sunscreens <laughs> with benzene. So, it probably with these titles, uh, immediately click. Worst thing is, um, I actually found one article that actually listed, like, did, like, a top 10 benzene-free sunscreens, which I thought was That's really a, shitty. Oh, a capitalist moment, Johanna. Oh, exactly. looking for benzene-free sunscreen? We got affiliate links for you. <laughs> exactly. So, um, definitely not the right reaction to have. Um, what actually happened is, and what we should explain is that benzene is just typically not very commonly found in sunscreen. It's not used. It's not something exactly. that... Oh my god, sorry. This is a bit of a tangent. It's kind of like the PFAS scandal about. <laughs> really? You want to do that here? <laughs> very top level. Very top level. Okay, really quick. <laughs> it's just, we just saw headlines that say, Cons- oh, brands are deliberately keeping PFAS off yeah. the ingredient la- label. Oh, okay. That's not how that works. Brands are supposed to disclose ingredient lists. Sometimes in creating raw materials they are stragglers they are contaminants in in a product and a lot of times there's industry guidelines to what's the safety level of mm-hmm. that and below which honestly a lot of times like you will see it in like pp parts per billion parts per million then no those don't get added to ingredient list but they are talking like oh they are secretly adding p fossil ingredients that's not how that works we're not out to get you i promise um uh, but basically we want to say that this is not a common situation um it's simply a contamination issue that um and we are guessing though do do not have confirmation is that it's a raw material contamination issue just because of the diversity of product the diversity of brand it's the only thing that would make sense to us so um one we would say that this is not a general like chronic issue of sunscreen so you shouldn't think that this is something i need to constantly screen out of my sunscreen you know shopping purchases um and yeah if you let's say did stumble upon that you have been using a sunscreen that was flagged in the report um they purposely released the batch codes and lot numbers it's a lot issue so simply you would just want to phase that out. and that's actually one of the main reasons why they release a lot code because mm-hmm. it's a batch contamination it's you know and and the brand did the right thing you know they mm-hmm. found out that that lot is contaminated so then they recalled those products yeah and, yeah and i would say that you know another thing too is like this is the many layers of product development you know like even for raw materials like situations like this can happen that's that's life you know and so um but i think we should say like a lot of brands, they really do all they can to make sure to come out a, with a safe product. It's not like, again, they're trying to like, let me just sneak like benzene. <laughs> You'll never see this coming. I hate humanity. <laughs> let me this no one does that. It's not how it is. All right. Anyway, so that's it. That's the four topics. Oh, God. Sorry. Was this fun? Write to us if this is fun. Can you leave it in the comments and tell us that this was insightful and we interesting? We totally understand <laughs> if you use this episode to punish your children. <laughs> <laughs> or if your kids won't go to sleep. <laughs> we tr- um, yeah, we try to give a uh, give more insight and kind of, especially, oh, especially with toxin, it's just, you know, things that, on one hand, I think it's kind of cool that what chemists do is getting highlighted yeah not so much fun that it's being highlighted in a very negative way but yep. it, it is the reality of the difficulties with this category so yeah. hopefully this gives some insight into why things are the way they are yeah exactly and 
I did want to ask Gloria. So oh. I have this kind of like theory after like dabbling in sunscreens and kind of reviewing all the liter- literature. I don't think this is tinfoil hat. This is more like for me as a core belief. I think amount of sunscreen you put on is a higher priority than SPF value. Yes. And that leads to our ultimate saying of texture being king. You know, mm-hmm. like at the end of the day, like what, you know, based on Professor Diffie's, um, everything that he's saying, all of this worry of like um, wonky SPF values, um, a lot of that can be salvaged just by having using the right amount. Good behavior. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's that's the one thing that it just kind of like screamed out at me. It's like amount is so much more important than the SPF value. Yeah, and I totally agree. And I think general, just everything um, behavior-wise, right? Like I think, uh, especially people who follow us, I think we're already in a group of people that generally speaking wear sunscreen every day. We're aware. Yeah, we're aware that they should. <laughs> you know, yeah. And, and I think that's already, we've already come such a long way from like the 90s where you think, the lawnmower is going on. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, uh, we apologize for the, the gardening that is happening outside. Uh, may it be a soothing tone in the background. <laughs> <laughs> we try so hard. We try so hard. You know, I think we've already come a long way from, you know, the age where people purposely go to the beach with no protection to mm. get burned, to get tan, yeah. you know, um, to now to an age where people only wear some protection when they are maybe going to uh, to the beach. Mm-hmm. Now, I think people are a lot more aware of wearing sunscreen uh, more or less on a daily basis and be much more cognizant of reapplying. So yeah. honestly, I think behavior is just is going to make all the difference here. Exactly. Um, chemists uh will always be striving to come up with better formulas that will help you comply better yes um and just make in a it safe way <laughs> in a safe way yeah um and the reality is again going back to the article that i kind of pulled um from professor diffy diffy uh in the beginning um it's just it's an involving topic you know people progress is happening super fast and we'll just try to keep everyone up to date on all the work that's being done so for now like keep calm and just use sunscreen yeah and if you're worried and stressed like come talk to us yeah you know um don't buy that plant spf oh all right all right, all right. last <laughs> <Don't> topic surprise <laughs> hidden topic number five that i have to talk about Dear way. waiting when to not DIY sunscreen. So, um, I wanted to do an Instagram post on DIY sunscreens. I've been sitting on it for a long time because, like, the reality is, I think our followers aren't the people that's gonna go to their kitchen and come out with a batch of sunscreens. Y'all good. Yeah, good. Y'all good. Yeah. But it's still prevalent, especially with, I feel like every time an article comes out on a sunscreen scare or something negative, it's the- just room for high. Have yeah, you met carrot those- seed oil? <laughs> yes, exactly. Those things just get a second wind, third wind. And I know there are people out there. They're not necessarily our followers. But if you know those people, please share our stuff with them. It's just I know that just makes people want to go to their farmer's market to buy all natural sunscreen. So I did a little digging. The most common um, DIY home sunscreen formulas is basically like coconut oil mixed with zinc oxide. Yeah, man, whatever. But I found so many formulas that says zinc-free. They call it metal-free. Like, I guess they lump zinc with like the aluminum scare. That's on top of chemical-free. Yeah, chemical-free 
Oh my god, like stuff that blends like carrot seed oil, like oh uh, I think rose hip. No, maybe not rose hip. But there's a list of organic oils that they claim to raspberry. have natural yes. raspberry. raspberry seed. I Ooh. don't know, man. This is not okay, raspberry. Boo raspberry! Belong <laughs> <laughs> a pie, not on my face. <laughs> But yes, but a lot of it came from, and I was like doing some digging. I was like, where the hell did people get that impression from? And there's a paper, I think it's a Canadian paper that came out in like the 2010s that uh, that claimed, that tested these oils and claimed that they had these SPF values. And again, now you guys are all armed with knowledge of how SPF testing works. A lot of these are done in vitro and they're not like, they're not in an actual formula. It doesn't, it doesn't translate. And mm. I will... I was going to say, we can guarantee you that those oils have not been through proper SPF testing. Yeah. Huge red flag. Yes. So what that means is these oils may or may not help supplement your sun routine, but they are not sunscreens. They're not a replacement. They're not replacements. And um, I actually found a very recent study that retested them. And some that come out to be like SPF2 with a different methodology you want to shut up Cheerios <laughs> reliability? I want to shut up carrot seed oil reliability. Rather seed oil. I think that's such a great case. Yes, I totally agree. Like this is much worse. This is yeah. bottom. We've hit rock bottom here, guys. This is the worst. Yeah, and I want to highlight that even the zinc formulas, like we mentioned, formulating zinc has a lot of issues. Um, a lot of it can be solved with like. Uh, as chemists, we have access to different grades of zinc, and the zinc themselves from the manufacturer can be surface treated, mm-hmm. coated, and combined with ingredients that help them spread better. Mm-hmm. That's not what you're going to be able to find on Amazon on Prime Day. So you're already using uh, a zinc that's probably not as good as one that uh, a, a legit brand can use. Yeah. And then you're suspending coconut oil. <laughs> don't do it, guys. Just don't do it. We have not reached a point where we have to completely mistrust brands mm-hmm. to get to this point. So this is, this is just, please, please don't do it. Yeah. Please, please. <laughs> Poor of Please. <laughs> please. Oh my okay. God. <laughs> Anyways. All right. Anyway. That's, so that's it. That's, that's it for really the meat. It. Um, that's a chunky marinated chunky, double-decker meat. Yeah. And mm. then... Um, it's a lot to chew on. Yeah. No pun intended. Hey, um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I think it's so funny. It's too easy. So my fiance um, always says, I give you gold all day and you laugh at the actual dumbest thing. Makes me so happy. <laughs> um, but I would say that, you know, this is, it's, there's no real conclusions to a lot of these yet. So well, this will be an annual update. We'll try, hopefully, to provide some new evidence, though we know all of this is just it's going to be a slow development. Yeah, and recently we, like, really come to this conclusion. I, I, we always think about, like, oh, what do we want people to know? Mm. What do we really want people to embrace? And part of it is just, like, just know that being in the gray is normal. And that is actually just how it is when you're making progress because we as a species, we're learning as we go, so yeah. it's okay. Exactly. Um, all right, I think it's time. Oh my god, let's move it along. Let's do it. All right, it's time, time to, to break, 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 break it up. Break, break, break it up. Break, break, break it up. Break it up. Just Jason Derulo. All right, all right, 
Come on, it is time for Fun Animal Corner. So fun. Today is Gloria sharing. Sorry, I'm, I apologize ahead of time because today is about chickens. <laughs> How to cook them? <laughs> I mean, I could be part of it. But the reason why I decided on poor old unglamorous chickens is because I was doing my research on all the SPF, seeing if there's anything new that I haven't heard of before, and also giving myself a refresher. I found this thing called SPF chickens. And I was very, very confused. Oh and it turned out I'm just very ignorant about agriculture science. So <laughs> SPF science actually just refers to specific pathogen-free chickens and no, eggs. No, no, no. Chickens that boost your SPF. I am into <laughs> I am into All this. these times, Kentucky Fried Chicken yeah, has been actually us out this whole time. Genius. Genius. That is an ingestible I can get on board with. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it means specific pathogen-free. Mm. Um, yeah, so I guess like in terms of raising a bunch of chickens together, it's important to have that so they don't die on you. So then I decided that, well, okay, I don't want to get too deep into specific pathogen-free chickens. So I decided to do a random rundown of how chickens are related to skincare. <laughs> This is really Go stupid. On. This is really dumb. Sorry, guys. If anyone knows, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. The meme with the guy with the red string. Imagine this happening right now. Because this is what I'm seeing. Okay, go. So first of all, tranexamic acid. It is a whitening ingredient mm. that's very popular in Asia. Mm-hmm. Has recently like caught a bunch of popularity. It has recently caught on the western side as well. And it's also used to prevent severe uh, periods mm-hmm. as a drug. Apparently, they have tested it to prevent hemorrhages in chickens. Chicken, like chicken they put broilers? it in their feet. Yeah, like that's where they like have a bunch of chickens in questionably small spaces. We apologize, vegans out there. Uh, it's just the nature of the studies. Yes. So, <laughs> tranexamic acid. You never acid. knew that's how it could be used too. Got it. Kojic acid is toxic to chickens. <laughs> So don't feed your chicken your kojic acid cream. Yeah, don't be putting the don't feed them your kojic acid pigmentation serums as a broth. Wait, that's yeah. not the wrong. That's what? the wrong term. Wow, that's the wrong term. Chicken beef. Yeah. Yes. So then, lastly, it, this is actually a little bit more directly uh, related to skincare is CAM studies. Hmm. So CAM is in C A M. Uh, it stands for choreoallantonic membrane. Allantoic, sorry, membrane of chickens, and these are just chicken embryos and egg. It's the membrane. Um, as they get once they get fertilized, they develop this, and it facilitate exchange of resp- mm-hmm. uh, respiratory gases, calcium transport, um, and just a lot of important. It's an important membrane to the embryo development. Um, this membrane is actually used as kind of a gauge for how irritating an ingredient or formula might be. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, so this is actually a very, very common study. Um, it's typically done at the ingredient level, though sometimes you'll see it done on formulas as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just to gauge, and you can't get full on, like, you're not going to get like dermatology tested. It's chicken tested. <laughs> but it is actually really, because that makes Sorry. <laughs> I don't so think anyone- chicken tested. <laughs> On Mr. Reliable. <laughs> <Ready. laughs> yeah, but this membrane, as you can imagine, is pretty sensitive. So they yep. use it as a gauge for irritation studies. And it's actually um, correlated decently well to human skin. So yep. anyway, CAM studies. Yeah, I think it's a 
and also just like a cool innovation piece mm-hmm. um as as I always mentioned, you know, animal models, um, mice models, it just doesn't always translate very well. So, um, you know, if you think about price and impact, um, lesser evils, um, mm. it's studies like these that are very helpful. Yeah. There are actually yeah. two main, like, animal membrane, mem- mem- I can't talk today, studies. So, CAM is one. The other one is called BCOP. It's um, cow eye. Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, you didn't think you're going to get a deep chemist formulation <laughs> insight today, but there you go. Cam and all the SPF testing studies in one episode. As you can tell, Gloria went down a rabbit hole. It was a deep She's coming one. back to us now. Drawing us in the rabbit hole. <laughs> so then to end this animal fun fact corner, I have to ask Victoria, KFC or Popeyes? <laughs> Churches. Churches chicken, really? <laughs> Actually, so I... I think of the two Popeyes. Mm. Um, there's something about KFC, like the skin that has not been my favorite. It's a little mm. like too oily, greasy for me. Mm-hmm. But I recently have tried Church's and was pleasantly surprised. So I would choose actually choose Church's over the two. Oh, interesting. What about you, Gloria? Popeyes. Yeah. So I grew up on KFC, mm. and I'm someone that's like I can be a little loyal to the taste I grew up with. Mm-hmm. But I find KFC to be a little inconsistent. Yes. Yeah. Exactly that. <laughs> but I love I love Popeye's like sides too. I love mm. their fries. I find KFC fries to be like soggy. Yeah, I feel like they're like a sad impression of what a potato is supposed to be. <laughs> <laughs> a sad evolution of the French fry. Yes. So um anyway, yep. that's all for the animal corner for the day. I'm so sorry guys, I tried chicken. Chicken. Thank you. SPF chicken. Yeah, thank you for all you do for us, chickens. Yes. Both as a diet and in testing. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's wrap this up with some minor QA. Yeah, we'll keep this quick because this episode is long. Yeah. So, Emily asks us Can you comment on negative interactions between Ava benzone and zinc oxide? I've heard that one degrades the other, correct? But not sure if that goes both ways. This would come into play if one were to apply a mineral sunscreen, then a foundation that contains a chemical SPF on top, or if one applied a chemical sunscreen for first application and mineral for reapplication or vice versa. Thank you. Yeah. That is a very, very deep question that I wouldn't expect. That I, anyway, so yes, you are correct. Avo, benzene, and zinc do not play well together. Um, it's not a mutual cancellation. Why avobenzone degrades very, very yes. quickly. Um, and I mean, in terms of going both ways, avobenzone should just never be formulated with zinc. Um, but in terms of layering, my take is like, it's fine. Oh, I actually am of the, uh, I don't recommend it. Because oh, okay. They all need to establish films. And mm-hmm. unless you're leaving like a really long drying period of time, I don't recommend that because you often have films compromising each other. Mm. And that's why I like, I would rather you do like one sunscreen. And then um, if you say do like a, just like a simple foundation, um, you do mineral, mineral, that would be ideal. But you know, sometimes it's hard. I understand that you want to have both protection and foundation, but I would say like, just stick to one. If you want to do tinted foundation, just stick to tinted foundation. That's a good. That's yeah. a good take. Let's do Victoria. My, I was gonna <laughs> say it doesn't really matter that much because, um, uh, in in my head, my logic is if you're layering, if you're ending on mineral, yeah, it will it will still give you protection. Um, the avobenzone is probably gonna die a sad death. Um, yeah. but 
Um, so to me, let's say if you're reapplying with chemical, mm-hmm. I would think that's a bigger yes. issue because then whatever residual zinc have may be causing your avobenzone to be dying faster than you think it is. Um, mm. But generally speaking, I agree with Victoria, like the film forming aspect is very important. It may have nothing to do with the filters, but yeah. just the nature of different formulas interacting. Exactly. And if you hear footprints, footsteps in the background, that is my dog. <laughs> Chasing About the to lawnmower. pounce the gardener. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, so... Next I, question. Yeah. Uh, next question. This is from Lynn Allen Slocum. Where does it state on the product what percentage of niacinamide it contains? I don't see that you have listed any moisturizing products that fall within the 4% range. They are not required to disclose mm-hmm. niacinamide. Uh, it is a relatively easy ingredient for us to decode because they're used at higher than 1%. You will typically find it um, in the probably the first five places um for the most part if they're using it in the two to four percent range i was gonna say yeah 10 10 um depending on formula type yeah so um i would say that the other thing too is um you know i think the we want to remind everyone that you know people are starting to think that 10 percent niacinamide is a standard um but that's actually not to the case. Um, and so just want to keep that in mind. And just as we mentioned about sunbum, it's also starting to pop into everything too. Yeah. So think about that in terms of layering. All right. So I think that's it. Maisie, my dog, is about to go crazy if we don't get off soon. So we're going to boom. Yeah. So what are we talking about next time? We oh. have not decided. <laughs> okay. Uh, we'll next time. Yeah, we should do a poll. No freaking clue, to be honest. But you'll find out soon. And um, where can they find us, Gloria? Oh, yeah. So <laughs> we're signing off. You know where to find us. <laughs> if you don't know. <laughs> we oh. got called out last time. Yeah. So our, our website is chemistconfessions.com. We should make a little ending card here. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us on Instagram at chemist.confessions. Mm-hmm. Um, you can write to us at uh, info at chemistconfessions.com. And yeah, that's, that's it. Usually takes us a few days to get Sorry, around to all the questions. But we will try to get to them. But otherwise, um, hope you enjoyed this episode. Hope we brought you some perspective and at least calmed your fears. That's really the only goal here. Um, it's a tough topic it. for us, too. Yeah. We will see you next time. Yeah. Thanks, for everyone, for sticking around for such a dense topic. And we'll talk to you again soon. For sure. Thanks for watching. Bye. Bye.